Now, being against the SAFE Act and being pro-gun rights, that's mainstream in upstate New York. What we saw was in some cases that legitimate disagreement over gun control kind of morphed into something else. It was a catalyst for anti-government groups and threats of violence, conspiracy theories. And that's the kind of activity that worries the FBI and counterterrorism officials. From NCPR, welcome to Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from the J.C. Steininger and M.E. McDonald Charitable Fund at Adirondack Foundation in support of the Adirondack Foundation, building stronger Adirondack communities. I probably don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. This is a pretty polarized time we're living in. Not only do people have strong opinions about the country and the world, but they often wear them on their sleeves, or their yard signs anyway. Northern New York did not always hew to the polarized political climate. There was an article in a national magazine a few years back about how we lived in a rare part of the country that even people with wildly divergent ideologies seemed to get along pretty well. But over the last few years, like it has in a lot of places, that has seemed to change. As a general rule, we try to steer clear of politics and ideology on Northwards. There are plenty of places to get your fix if that's your aim. There are radio shows, newspapers, magazines, TV shows, TV networks, blogs, substacks, reddits, subreddits, and podcasts. But on this episode of the show, we're going to learn about a new podcast produced, metaphorically anyway, just down the hall. NCPR launches a new podcast on January 15th called If All Else Fails. The show investigates the far-right landscape in the North Country. It also looks into local law enforcement who have ties to the far right, and it profiles a Glens Falls man who went to prison for the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. We'll hear the trailer at the end of today's episode. The podcast is hosted by reporters Emily Russell and Zach Hirsch and was edited by NCPR News Director David Summerstein. Here is a conversation that the three of them had about their key takeaways from the podcast. So, Emily and Zach, you two spent months investigating far-right extremism in upstate New York. And I want to dive into what you found. But before that, let's talk a little bit about how you two got into this story to begin with. Yeah, so Zach and I have spent years covering politics in upstate New York. This is a part of the state that's very rural, and it's become increasingly conservative in recent years. And that's a trend that we've seen in other rural areas around the country. But most of our reporting has focused more on kind of mainstream politics, the shift to the right that we've seen among politicians who represent our region and the shift we've seen among voters. And I think the thing that we hadn't done yet was really dive into the far right side of politics here. We're not just talking about people with very conservative views. We're talking about people and groups who are anti-government or extremist. So this reporting was really focused on ideologies that threaten violence or push the country towards authoritarianism. And we should be clear, while a lot of these ideas are becoming more mainstream, the people openly calling for violence are a slim minority. And I just want to say, this was challenging reporting. It's hard to find sources and information on these groups. You know, after January 6th, some groups disbanded or went underground People seem less likely now to chat and organize on major social media sites. 
And many people on the far right just didn't want to talk to reporters like us. So good question. How did you go about finding sources and figuring out what the far right landscape in upstate New York is all about? Well, we traveled around the region. We talked to voters, to business owners, law enforcement. And we also just kind of drove around looking at lawn signs and flags people fly, looking at bumper stickers and taking note of the far right symbols that people put on display. And once you kind of know what to look for, you really start noticing those far-right symbols more. We also, of course, talk to a lot of experts for our reporting, both from here in upstate and national experts on extremism. We interviewed an FBI agent and the top security official in New York. And then we also relied on some of the pretty extensive reporting that other journalists have done on the far-right over the years. So one thing I wanted to ask you guys about your findings is... What did you find as far as how is far-right extremism different here in upstate New York than in other parts of rural America? Yeah, this is interesting. So extremist groups gain traction over different issues in different parts of the country. So in parts of the South, white nationalism has really come into the spotlight in response to Confederate statues coming down. That's what sparked the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. In states along the southern border, like Texas, there are militia groups that are anti-immigrant. But here in New York, what we found was that guns were kind of the main focus of the far-right movement. Yeah, and we've seen that really on the rise in the last decade. A new gun control measure was passed in New York back in 2013 known as the SAFE Act. Now, being against the SAFE Act and being pro-gun rights, that's mainstream in upstate New York. What we saw was in some cases that legitimate disagreement over gun control kind of morphed into something else. It was a catalyst for anti-government groups and threats of violence, conspiracy theories. And that's the kind of activity that worries the FBI and counterterrorism officials. And to this day, Second Amendment arguments seem to have gained the most traction for the far right. People have used the gun rights issue as a recruitment tool for militias, as a way to say, hey, your government is trying to take this right away from you. What are you going to do about it? Emily, you mentioned racism and how ideas like white supremacy are part of far-right ideologies in other parts of the country. What about here in upstate New York? Well, one thing we struggled with during our reporting was not having any real way to know how widespread a certain belief is. Like, we can drive around and count how many Confederate flags we see around upstate New York or talk to locals and experts about what they're seeing. But there's just no way to know what's motivating individual people on the far right. What we can say is that here in upstate New York, it appears that far right groups and militias and ideologies, they're more focused on gun rights and and anti-government ideology than overt white supremacy. But here's the thing. Even if it's not overt racism, a lot of these groups overlap and those lines aren't always so clear, especially when you think about the historical roots. The Constitutional Sheriff's Movement, for example, was started by a white supremacist in the 70s who believed county sheriffs should form posses and basically lynch people. Today, the CEO of the main group in that movement is a talk show host who props up white nationalists and neo-Confederates. In upstate New York, there's also the more in-your-face kind of racism, too. Ku Klux Klan flyers have surfaced in recent years. The Proud Boys have also tried to recruit here. They deny they're racist, but experts consider them a hate group. This series has a narrow focus on far-right extremism. 
So why did you choose to focus so much on the right? Well, experts told us that's just really where a majority of the violence is coming from. And actually, one bit of pushback we heard over and over when we were out reporting on far-right extremism is, well, what about far-left extremism? What about Black Lives Matter? People, including law enforcement here, have incorrectly claimed that the BLM movement has been more violent than the far-right. And that's just simply not true. That's a movement to protest the police killings of innocent Black people. And it's been an overwhelmingly peaceful movement. We talked with Jackie Bray about that kind of pushback. Bray leads New York's Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. The truth is that when we look at the facts, we see far more violent extremism and violent extremism that leads to death from racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in the white supremacist and the neo-Nazi groups. Those are just facts. We don't see anywhere near that from groups like Black Lives Matter. It's not in the same category of groups. Okay, so we're officially in a presidential election year. It could very well be a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. What did you guys find when you talked to people for the podcast about what they were thinking, what they were expecting about the election? Well, there's a real sense of anxiety from people. I think January 6th was a wake-up call for a lot of folks that, that, that people can be pushed to their limits to defend their beliefs. Some experts say the lack of violence during the 2022 midterms was a good sign. But again, I think a lot of people are on edge heading into November. We talked to one woman from the town of Moreau, New York. Her name is Beth Wadley. She's worried things could turn violent. She's pretty far to the left. She feels like the government is broken and doesn't think Democrats are necessarily going to save the day here. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I just think we're headed towards some kind of civil, civil movement unrest, maybe not full on war, but there's definitely going to be a reckoning. I don't I don't know when, but I feel like it'll be soon. And an interesting thing is that what Beth Wadley said echoes what people on the other end of the political spectrum told us. One of those people was James Bonet. Remember, he was part of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Here's what he told us. I think Trump will win. And then, and then that's when I think that that's when they're going to try starting World War Three. The they that Bonet is talking about there is the Biden administration. And then there's Sheriff Mike Carpinelli from episode two, who says, if all else fails, then we know what we have to do. But I don't think that we're there yet. We'd love to ask Carpinelli what that means. He hasn't returned our calls and emails. But the point is, people across the political spectrum appear to be thinking in terms of a reckoning or some kind of violence. And that is not good. A lot of this podcast is about radicalization as a tool for recruitment among far-right groups. What's being done to push back or prevent people from getting radicalized? So there are agencies and experts that are really focused on that. And the key is to prevent someone from going down the rabbit hole in the first place. We heard that de-radicalizing or deprogramming someone after the fact is so much harder. One of the places that's leading that effort on the national level is the Polarization and Extremism Research and Innovation Lab at American University. Pete Kurtz-Glovis is from that lab, and he says they're really focused on preventing radicalization, starting at kind of the community level. 
if we start to take a public health approach to these kinds of issues, then you actually face a real opportunity to prevent folks from falling down these conspiratorial rabbit holes because they are in better connected communities. They know their neighbors. People can recognize when folks are maybe starting to spend too much time online or too much time consuming conspiratorial content. So we're wrapping up this podcast. Emily and Zach, what do you want people to take away from your reporting the most? Yeah, I think one important thing to emphasize is that there are dots that connect a lot of what may seem like separate factions of the far right. So our series mentions the KKK, anti-government militias, constitutional sheriffs, anti-immigrant groups. There is a thread that runs through all of these. It's about authoritarian control and also who this country is really for, who we the people are. And often that vision of the country is deeply Christian, deeply white. And we say this throughout the series, but it's worth mentioning again, physical violence from far-right extremism appears to be pretty rare in upstate New York. But as we've seen in the past with the racist mass shooting in Buffalo, just one person who's been radicalized can do tremendous damage. And looking at January 6th, just a handful of people from the North Country that we know of took part in that day, and dozens more from other parts of New York. And if you take just a handful of people from every region around the country, suddenly you have a mob of thousands that can threaten the political system and democracy in the United States. Emily Russell, Zach Hirsch, thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks, David. All the episodes of NCPR's new podcast, If All Else Fails, are available beginning January 15th. It's hosted by reporters Emily Russell and Zach Hirsch and edited by NCPR News Director David Summerstein, all of whom we just heard on today's episode of Northwards. Now here's Ethan Shanty to tell us about the cast of characters that brings this podcast to you every week. Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The program is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke. I'm Ethan Shanty. I do our digital production. Doyle Dean is our production manager. Bill Hanel is our director of digital services. And Caitlin Kelly does our social media. The If All Else Fails theme music is by One Such Village. And the Northwards theme music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. For more episodes, you can visit ncpr.org slash northwards. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio. Here's the trailer for If All Else Fails, the new podcast from NCPR. Yes, hello. Uh, I'll leave a message for Zach Hirsch. This is Sheriff Mike Carpinelli in Lewis County. I got your message. And, uh, this is my- I was trying to reach Mike Carpinelli last year. He's a sheriff from upstate New York. We were working on a story about him. We'd emailed, and Carpinelli called us back the same day. And uh, we'll talk, and then I'll decide uh, uh, what we can do. Appreciate you reaching out to me. Thank you. Take care, Zach. Bye-bye. But that was the only time we'd ever hear from the sheriff. Carpinelli first grabbed our attention when he posted a photo of himself a year and a half ago. In that photo, he's holding up an award from the Oath Keepers, and he looks proud of it. The Oath Keepers are a far-right militia group. They played a key role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. By the time Carpinelli posted that photo, the founder of the Oath Keepers had been arrested and charged with seditious conspiracy. 
didn't seem like a great time for anyone to point out their ties to the Oath Keepers, let alone a county sheriff elected to uphold the law. But that photo got hundreds of comments, more than a thousand likes. All this got us thinking, what kind of ties do law enforcement have to far-right groups like the Oath Keepers? And who are all these people who like that connection? I'm Emily Russell. And I'm Zach Hirsch. That one photo of the sheriff and his Oath Keepers Award kicked off a much broader investigation, one we've spent months working on. Far-right groups like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys have ties to rural areas around the country. We looked at one place, here in upstate New York, and we found that all kinds of extremist groups have tried to recruit people here, from the infamous KKK to lesser-known groups like Patriot Front. We also found that there's a real anti-government movement in upstate New York, a movement that's inspired people to join militias. Get involved with your militias. I assure you, they will be needed if this tyranny continues. We take the military guys and the former police officers, and we're not just some ragtag bunch of guys out there that don't know what we're doing. This is the kind of stuff that really worries experts and top security officials. There is not a county in the state that doesn't have a challenge with extremism. So this stuff is happening on a regular basis. You take somebody who might have a kind of suspicion of government. You say to them, like, hey, come join our group that has a solution for you, right? And some of those solutions are pretty violent. We wanted to know what's at stake when people join far-right groups or when they buy into conspiracy theories about the government or elections. Being in January 6th, there's a lot of people like me that we know the election was stolen. And what happens when people see themselves as the last line of defense against tyranny? The role of what I believe militia is today is to prepare for dark times. At some point, the system will fall. I believe in defending our country. If all else fails, if all else fails, then we know what we have to do. If All Else Fails, an investigative podcast from North Country Public Radio. You can listen to all the episodes starting on January 15th.